Hi, this is Josh Burson. Welcome to Research-Based Perspectives on the ever-changing world of work, leadership, learning, and HR, with a heavy dose of insights on the exciting world of HR technology. Hello, this week I want to spend some time on vendors, which I don't usually do on this podcast, but there's so much going on, I really feel it's important. And the biggest piece of news is Microsoft. Microsoft is a fascinatingly important company in business. My personal experience with Microsoft goes way back to the 1980s. I was actually a working professional when the first PC was launched and we had DOS and Windows and Windows 3.1 and then Office and the proliferation of things Microsoft has done. It's a very tenacious software company that has radically changed over the years and is really, really hitting its stride. What Microsoft introduced this week is a groundbreaking platform called Viva. Viva is a platform built on Microsoft Teams that is positioned as an employee experience platform. And it basically has all sorts of features built into it because of its platform nature of Teams and the Azure services behind it and its connections to Microsoft Office and four initial apps, uh, Viva Connections, which is an employee portal and employee communications app. Viva Learning, which is a learning experience platform and learning management, light learning management system. Viva Insights, which is an actually quite extensive system for analytics, well-being, and productivity measurement. And Viva Topics, which is a very powerful indexing technology that allows you to find documents, identify experts, and make sense of the corporate infrastructure. It is being packaged as an employee experience platform. I've written a lot about this category. It's an emerging category. I think it's gonna be very clearly defined now that Microsoft has jumped in. And what that means is that it's a platform that any company can use to sit in front of employees to make their uh, many, many, many interactions easier at work. Now, employee experience as a topic has grown exponentially in the last two years. It started as a design domain in HR around building journeys to make the HR function a little more relevant, but now it's really a massive strategy which ranges from well-being, safety, back-to-work scheduling, workplace systems, IT support, HR programs, pay, rewards, well-being, benefits, and so forth. Virtually everything that happens at work is part of the employee experience, and we're going to be introducing a framework that shows you 24 elements of the employee experience and how they all fit together, which we've done a big research study that'll be out later this quarter or early next quarter. Now, the reason Microsoft's getting into this is really historic. The company, for many, many years, primarily sold to IT and business people, didn't really sell to HR or learning people at all, until they acquired LinkedIn. And when, when Microsoft acquired in for the low, low price of $26 billion, which seems like one of the biggest bargains in the world now, they basically got access to a massive business selling recruiting services and professional development services through HR to employees. And so under the covers, while Microsoft's been building out Azure and all sorts of applications on the Microsoft Seattle side, LinkedIn has been growing and growing and growing and increasing its penetration into many aspects of HR, introducing an applicant tracking system, greatly expanding LinkedIn learning, acquiring Glint. Glint is a leading provider of employee engagement, surveys and feedback and performance management applications. 
And so what was happening is while that was going on, the Microsoft people were building more tools and they were meeting with LinkedIn and beginning to see, oh my God, there's a big market here for technology to not only automate HR, but make employees' lives easier. So Viva is a result of a lot of thinking. I've been advising Microsoft for probably three years now on this. And we've brought chief learning officers and chief HR officers up to Microsoft multiple times. And usually their reaction is, holy smokes, you guys have a lot of stuff we could use. We didn't even know we have it. It was, it was sort of in IT and we weren't even aware that our company already owned it. So Viva is a reflection that this is a real market and a very serious commitment by Microsoft to build out these four applications and also work with third parties because the employee experience problem is very, very complex. And so Viva Viva will not only be a collaboration system and a video conferencing system, but it'll be a platform for many, many other applications. Virtually everybody who sells tools for HR, performance management, project management, well-being, engagement, feedback, surveys, employee communications are really going in the same place. They're trying to reach employees directly either through HR or through IT, and Viva in some ways will be the perfect gateway to do that. Now, the reason I'm so high on Microsoft is not only am I you know, incredibly impressed with the people there and their ability to execute, but the company is, is very, very successful in the market. When we first went home for the pandemic and everybody started using Zoom, my company was playing around with Slack and I didn't like Slack. I couldn't quite figure out how to use it. I'm not a big fan of it. Well, we started using Teams and all of a sudden I realized that almost every communication with large companies started to take place using Teams because companies have so much Microsoft technology. It's way more integrated and way more advanced than what Google offers. Uh, there's obviously Cisco's WebEx and Zoom and Workplace by Facebook, which is an extremely powerful product. But nobody really that I know of can take all of that video conferencing, video indexing, translation, and other features yet to be announced and connect it to all of the documents, portals, feedback systems, and IT security and directory services that Microsoft offers. So, you know, whether you like Microsoft or not, they used to be called the evil empire, but Satya is anything but evil. He's actually a great guy. This is a great company with great products. So the Aviva product line to me is probably going to impact every buyer of HR technology and every vendor. Let me talk about vendors now for a couple of minutes. Well, the other thing that's happened in the last two weeks is Qualtrics spun off from SAP it was immediately worth more than $20 billion, 35 times revenue, which is astoundingly high valuation. I don't understand that valuation because as much as I like Qualtrics, it's basically a survey company and they compete with lots of other companies, including Medallia, Glint, who's now owned by Microsoft, I mentioned earlier, and Perceptix and lots of other great companies. They've done an incredibly good job of sales and marketing. They position it as an EX platform. It's a really interesting idea to instrument employee and customer feedback, use the data to create triggers and alerts, and then use that feedback to improve the employee and customer experience. And they've done a really good job of defining that end-to-end -end experience and selling into it. The reality is that the other vendors can do it too, maybe not quite as well as Qualtrics, but I, I know for sure Medallia can. 
I think all the other vendors are going to move in that direction, including CultureAmp and some of the smaller ones. So that was a big deal because, of course, that validated the employee-centric part of the market, although Qualtrics gets a lot of revenue from the customer side. And the same day they went public, Workday announced the acquisition of Pecan. Now, Workday is a company I know very well and spent a lot of time with them over the years. And I was telling Workday for many years they should buy or build an employee engagement tool because employee feedback is so central to all the aspects of management and responsiveness and agility in an organization. And these systems are quite sophisticated. They don't just send out surveys and then create reports. They give you real-time data that can go to managers. They can find alerts that go to compliance officers. They can identify safety problems. They can identify harassment and legal issues and theft and all sorts of things. Well, Workday got the religion and acquired Pecan. Pecan, P-E-A-K-O-N, is a really cool company. They're Danish. Their product is exceptionally well designed and very compelling when you see it. They really didn't have a lot of presence in the United States, but they're about a $30, $35 million company. Very solid engineering team. I spent quite a bit of time with them. And and they're now part of Workday. And Workday doesn't buy companies for revenue. Workday tends to buy companies for engineering and teams. And so this is a team of developers that will probably be responsible for not only the EX types of products that the Qualtrics offers, but other things. One of the things Peak was working on is something called Peak on Grow, which was an employee development and performance coaching system based on feedback. Imagine you did an employee survey maybe once a month, and then one of the managers got really low scores on empowerment. Well, the system could send them a little nudge and say, hey, your team is scoring you lower on empowerment than your peers. Here's a set of developmental coaching tips on how to be a little more of an empowering manager. And they basically built that. And Workday doesn't have anything like that. In fact, Workday's performance management capability is often criticized as not really being enough. And so companies oftentimes add things to Workday for performance management and feedback. Well, I have a funny feeling that stuff's going to start get built in the Pecan group and then come out as part of the Workday suite. So that was a big deal. Now, the other thing that is important under all of this is this incredibly massive topic of skills inference engines, skills taxonomies, job architectures, and the talent marketplace. So let me take a couple of minutes on that while we're talking about vendors. For the last really 15 years, companies have been slowly inching away from the linear two, three year at a time career development paths that I experienced when I was young, where you kind of waited your turn and you did your job and then somebody came along and said, okay, you're ready for a promotion. You're going to get a new title and uh, here's a 5% raise and we're going to give you a little more responsibility. That doesn't work anymore. It's too slow. The organizations are flat. People have multiple roles and oftentimes managers are individual contributors and managers. So we've opened up this world of mobility. And of course, during the pandemic, every company did a lot of this because roughly 40% of Americans at least changed roles, jobs, or managers last year, with or without a plan. The question is, how do you make those decisions? And how do you determine who's qualified for the next role? Which gets to the bigger issue of what skills do we have in the company and where are they? And what skills do we need? So every CHRO is now grappling with this. And what they're basically finding is that the original idea of mapping competencies to jobs is dead. So without being too controversial, let me sort of explain what I mean by that. 
If you go back 20 years when I got into HR stuff, there was this idea that you would define a job and in the job description, there would be a lot of tasks and responsibilities and then there would be competencies. And there was a competency model that was affiliated to each job. So you end up with thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of competencies. And then you want to say, okay, well, let's see if we're going to write all that down. Let's use those competencies to assess people to see if they're capable or prepared for this job to develop them through training and then also to determine when they're ready for a promotion. It's a giant mess. It's a hugely complicated, academically good idea that never really seemed to work very well, except for very operational jobs like people that have to fix things, repair things, and work in manufacturing where you absolutely have to know certain skills. So we have this big mess going on with companies trying to figure out what to do next. And then the vendors have built skills engines, so Degreed and Edcast and Workday and SAP uh, and Oracle and you know virtually everybody, Eightfold and Gloat, they all have software that will basically crawl through your job description, your performance ratings, and all sorts of other artifacts about your work and make a pretty good guess about what you're good at. Now, they're not really that accurate, but they're better than nothing. And what companies are now doing is they're looking at all these skills taxonomies, these, these ontology creators, and they're saying, well, how do we make sense of all this? And what they're finding is, first of all, the market is very fragmented. There is no one system for skills that works for all of the applications in the company from recruiting through development, through succession, through talent mobility. And they're finding that they have to have skills engines in each application. There's a skills engine in the recruiting tool. There's a skills engine in the learning tool. There's a skills engine in the talent mobility tool. And then if you go by Workday, they have one too. And the engine is reasonably good at picking up semi-obvious stuff but it's not that intelligent. And so what I'm advising companies and we're working with actually quite a few companies right on this right now is there's really two things you need to do. Number one, you need to look at your job architecture because if you have what most companies have, many, many levels and many, many job descriptions and many job titles, you oftentimes have more job descriptions than you do human beings in the company. So that's a lot of baggage to drag around. So companies like Verizon and P&G and many others are radically simplifying the job architecture with much less detail because people don't work in fixed jobs anymore. We have roles and responsibilities, but we tend to do many different things over a year or two. And so the job descriptions and job tax economies are getting simpler and fewer levels. And we have some methodologies to help you with that if you're interested. And then they're saying, okay, before I just turn on all this software and try to figure out what skills we have, why don't we sit down and have a strategic conversation about what skills we know we need? And that gets into the whole topic of strategic capabilities. And one of the things we're going to be introducing later in February is our capability project for HR, which you're going to find fascinating, I guarantee you. But the basic message is that only you as a business person or an executive know what the strategic capabilities are for your company. No two companies have exactly the same capability needs. At the skill level, yes, we need to know Java. We need to know how to write code. We need to know how to use Excel. We need to know how to balance the books. Those are operational or to some degree tactical skills, but the capabilities that they make up, which are higher level business capabilities, are up to you. And I'll give you an example of this. One of our clients is a technology company been around a long time, very successful, very profitable. 
They've lost some of their technology edge. They've lost some big deals lately. They're concerned about their technology direction and they did a lot of soul searching and they realized that most of their capabilities were focused on scalable manufacturing and they had not been focused on advanced technology, market scanning, competitive intelligence. Those are business capabilities. So they are formally making a decision to create a new set of skills, power skills or business capabilities so that they can formally push the organization towards new sets of skills and new sets of capabilities. And then they are going to take these tools and use them to aggregate the underlying skills that are needed. We're going through the same thing with another very successful software company that's trying to build more advanced skills on accountability and psychological safety and more soft skills. So the reason I mention this in the world of vendors is every vendor in the market seems to be preaching that they have the best skills taxonomy and system in the world. And I would just warn you, look at that with your eyes wide open and reflect on the fact that this is early days and most of these tools are very underdeveloped and, and unproven. And you will be working with these vendors to make this all come together, which gets me back to Microsoft. Now, Microsoft is obviously new to the HR space and all of these things that are coming out in Viva are gonna be big new areas for Microsoft technology and Microsoft sales and channel people to work in. But one of the things Microsoft's really good at is indexing. If you've ever used Outlook or any of the Office products, you realize how fast it searches things. And of course, Project Cortex which makes up the Topics app in Viva, is a massively intelligent search engine that not only searches through documents to find topics, but searches for who authored documents, and it looks through the metadata of all the Microsoft documentation and can find people and say, this person seems to be the expert on this topic because he or she authored many of the most widely used or widely read, widely accessed pieces of content in your company. That's a pretty important thing. Imagine if Microsoft took that technology and attuned it towards skills. They're basically doing it already. So I think there's a big, possibility that the skills problem that we're all trying to solve with many, many tools may eventually fall into the hands of Microsoft too. So I just want to throw that out there. The final thing I want to get you to think about is why is EXP really a category and not just a marketing term? And here's my perception of this based on my experience working for 40 years in business. If you go back to the 1970s and 1980s when I worked at IBM, there were a bunch of companies that built ERP systems. ERP was a very radical idea. SAP really made the biggest success in this. Oracle did it. And there were a bunch of companies that are now gone and been acquired. And the idea of ERP was in a manufacturing economy where most companies built and sold products, there was an opportunity to integrate the finance system, the general ledger, the P&L with the manufacturing system that keeps track of everything that's manufactured and the value added process of manufacturing and the supply chain system where you go out and get all your parts and product and, and product features and bring them together. And that became ERP. And when SAP did this, it was earth shattering. Most of you aren't as old as I am, but I remember when SAP hit the market, everybody wanted it. I mean, every company in every industry wanted it. And over the years, SAP not only integrated all these pieces, but they integrated them by industry. So SAP became 
experts at retail, experts at telecommunications, experts at oil and, and energy, experts at pharmaceuticals, and all of these companies built integrated ERP systems with the help of SAP and then Oracle and then others, Infor and other companies. Then sometime in the 1980s and 1990s, there was a wave of interest in customer systems. And I remember first reading when I was at Sybase, uh, the book on pinpoint marketing. And it was about basically that marketing is about really a market of one. Every individual customer and consumer has its own characteristics. And how do we take this massively broad approach to marketing and selling and make it more intelligent? Well, there was a lot of work going on in customer data warehouses to analyze who was buying what. And there was always this famous story about Walmart discovered that the people that buy beer also buy diapers. And I won't take you through that, but, but that was the beginning of it. And then along comes Siebel Systems and Salesforce and a few other companies that were building Salesforce automation tools that didn't really work in the early days. And somebody had the brilliant idea of maybe all this goes together. Let's call it C. And so CRM became the integrating theme that took the customer revolution, the marketing revolution, and then of course the online advertising revolution and the online marketing revolution, the digital marketing revolution, and put it into one platform. So Salesforce became a multi-billion dollar company. Companies like HubSpot became giant companies. Marketo got acquired. It all became part of this end-to-end -end integration platform, just like ERP did in the 70s and the 80s, CRM did in the 90s and the early 2000s. Well, here we are now, well into the, the next decade, and we are living in the service economy. 80% of the jobs in the United States are service jobs. And I don't mean a professional service, I mean selling, designing, managing, serving, caring for people, consulting with people, providing customer service. Most of the stock market capitalization in the United States is intangible assets. Even software engineers are service people because they're designing things based on input from others. Of course, managers are service people. The number of manufacturing jobs who are actually doing manufacturing dropped 20% in the United States in the last two decades, and it's slowly being automated. So given that employees are now basically defining the value of your company, since your company is a service organization, and their skills, their alignment, their engagement, their health, their well-being, their sense of energy, their sense of purpose, their sense of commitment, are basically all your company really has anymore, then we need a similar system to manage all of that stuff that makes employees happy, productive, and successful. And so I think there's an argument that the EXP is a similar integration platform that ERP was in the 60s and 70s and 80s, CRM was in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. This is where we are. And if Microsoft is successful, which I really believe they will be, there will be others. There will be other companies. ServiceNow, for example, is moving this direction. To some degree, Qualtrics is hinting about it. Oracle, Cisco, even Facebook with Workplace are seeing the need for an integration platform that has an application layer, a layer of services, and then a layer connecting it to backend systems and service delivery organizations to make employees more productive. And we can just look at what happened during the pandemic 
and get a sense of how important this was. You all sent employees home and gave them new computers and bought them furniture and gave them access to Zoom or Teams. And they came back and said, hey, I need, I need help on well-being. I need some coaching. I need some entertainment. Can you give me a little bit more help on my kids? Maybe you guys could teach me some classes. By the way, can we have a little more fun around here? We learned a lot about what employee experience was all about last year. And we learned that employee experience isn't just HR's problem. It's IT, HR, finance, legal, facilities, safety. It's all of the supporting functions in the company coming together to create the best possible experience for each employee. It isn't the same for a retail worker in a store as it is for a truck driver, as it is for a white collar worker, as it is for an executive or a mobile salesperson. So we need a platform that manages all that and brings it all together and accommodates this innovative market of new systems. And I think it's pretty similar to what happened in ERP and what happened in CRM. So I would argue that this EXP thing is not just a marketing phrase, it's a really big change in the way we think about business, the way we think about technology, and the way products will be purchased. And that means that for every vendor in the market, you have to sort of decide, you know, are you a, an end-to-end -end solution? Are you a component of an EXP? And what will be your relationship to Microsoft? And I think most companies have ignored Microsoft and HR, but maybe not so much now, now that Viva comes out. Anyway, a lot of this is covered in the article I'm publishing about Microsoft today. It is also discussed in detail in the HR Technology 2021 report. You can get that report on the Kindle right now. It's virtually free if you use Kindle Unlimited. And then the big, beautiful PDF version of it will be coming out in the next couple of weeks, and we'll send you some information on how to get it. As always, I am very interested in your comments, your feedback, and any debate you'd like to have about any of these topics. And I hope this has been a good informational podcast on what's going on in HR technology, employee experience, and Microsoft. Thank you.